What I was sharing earlier, this will go right along with that. Sometimes we just don't realize as people come in and out of the building, we all know how to, how to put on our, for lack of a better term, our Sunday clothes. But it's Sunday and Wednesday and Monday, and whenever we're around other Christians, we kind of we know how to put on a happy face. Now, I'm not saying you're not happy. As the people of God, we should be the happiest people on earth. Uh, you know, joy that is a fruit of the Holy Spirit is independent of circumstance. But a lot of times we don't recognize that. And if we're not spending time in the presence of the Lord, we're not seeing His joy in our life. But happiness is completely dependent upon our circumstances. And many times we cover up our unhappiness when we come into places like this. And there are things that I know pastorally, so there are things that I know and needs that I know of that, that the general population doesn't. And, and I, I know there are people carrying some things. But for everybody I know about, there are probably ten that I do not. That you're not even willing, and you don't even want to tell me what's going on in your life. And I want to tell you something I may not know, and I don't have to know. And nobody else in this room has to know. Because Jesus already knows. And He really does care about what's happening to you. He really does care about where you're at, and He knows where you're at. And in Matthew chapter 14... There's a familiar story. I want to begin in verse 21 because this is the background for everything that's going to happen later. He says, Now those who had eaten were about 5,000 men besides the women and the children. Now he's referencing one of the great miracles of Jesus' ministry where a great multitude had followed him. Now to give you a little more background, Jesus' cousin by biology and his close friend, John the Baptist, had recently been beheaded. And word had come to Jesus and his disciples about John the Baptist's death. And earlier it tells us in Matthew chapter 14 that Jesus had desired to go to a solitary place to be alone after hearing about the death of John the Baptist because Jesus operated as God in human flesh. He was fully God but here's the thing, the reason he was our redeemer is he was also fully man. That's why when he sat down at the well we talked about last Sunday in Samaria to meet the Samaritan woman, it says he was weary, he was tired from the journey. The reason he was able to be tired is because he functioned fully as a man. So Jesus knew what it was to be tired. Jesus knew what it was to be rejected and betrayed. Jesus knew what it was to feel grief and sorrow he wept at the tomb of Lazarus, the one whom he loved. He knew what it was. He, he wept over the city of Jerusalem. He, he knew all of those things because he functioned not only as fully God, but as fully man. And here he hears this news that brings sorrow naturally to his heart. Even though Jesus knew all things, it still brought sorrow to his heart. So he wanted to be alone. The problem was there was a great multitude that was around him. And because Jesus was who he was, he felt great compassion for the multitude. So instead of going to be alone, he began to teach and to preach. But the day gets late, and they look at this crowd, which is 5,000 men, not counting the women and children. So we're probably talking about at least 10,000 people total. And there was no food, and there was no place to really get food in this solitary place. So Jesus looks at his disciples, and, he's, and he has them. Uh, they, they bring a, a lad had some loaves and fishes, and, and they, they bring that, and he breaks that, and he distributes that, and they feed everyone, and they all have everything that they need, and then there's leftovers. He does this twice, by the way, in his ministry. 
And it's immediately following this great miracle that we come to verse 22. And it says, Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself alone to pray. And now when evening come, had come, he, alone, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. So right after this great miracle, after the 5,000, close to 10,000 were fed with basketfuls remaining, Jesus sends his disciples on ahead because he still wants to go and be alone with his father in prayer after hearing of the death of John the Baptist. He tells his disciples, get in the boat and go ahead of me. I'm going to go up here, I'm going to send the crowd away, and then I'm going to go up and I'm going to spend some time alone with the Father. And while Jesus is praying, a storm comes up on the Sea of Galilee, and these seasoned fishermen are in trouble because of how severe the storm is, because the winds were contrary to them. Now, there's a couple of things I want to point out before we go any further. First of all, if Jesus needed to go up on the mountain alone to pray and be with his Father, how much more, how much more exceedingly do you and I need to spend time alone with the Father? And if Jesus knew and recognized that time alone with the Father would soothe any grief or any burden, how much more exceedingly will time alone with the Father relieve us of our grief and our burdens and our sorrows and our difficulties? There's a time that you just need to learn to be alone with God. And I want to encourage you not to be afraid of getting into the presence of the Heavenly Father alone. Our society is built upon always being busy. Always having some type of noise in the background. Always having people around us. Always having things to do. Even when we're alone, we, we live through social media. Somebody said uh, uh, on one of the surveys we did a, f a few months ago that social media is the place where people live now. That's people's neighborhood now. And for, for the most part, uh, that's true. We live there. And even when we're alone, we spend time really involved with other people because we're always scrolling through whatever social media we're involved with. And I'm not against those things, but I am telling you that one of the weaknesses of the modern day church is we don't spend enough time alone in the presence of God. And I really believe that one of the things that the Holy Spirit is stirring once again in the body of Christ, particularly in this nation, is He's calling us to time in prayer. He's calling us to time in His presence. He's calling us to once again make that a priority in our life, not as some legalistic obligation, but as a refuge from this world that we're in, as a time and a place that we can go and be restored, that we can go and be, be strengthened, that we can go and find wisdom, that we can go and find peace. So Jesus went to be alone with his father. And there in his presence. Now let me tell you something. While Jesus was there. He was still fully Jesus. So that means that he knew what was going on. With his disciples. Matter of fact I believe that when Jesus sent his disciples in the boat alone. He knew exactly what was going to happen. To his disciples when they got in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. But here's the thing. They had just experienced the miraculous power. Of Jesus at work. Through their lives. They had been a part 
of one of the greatest miracles that ever occurred on the face of this planet, the multiplication of food. It reminds me of another story when Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up on the mount, and he's transfigured before them. And they see not only Jesus, but they see Elijah and Moses with him. We talked about that last week. And they're so blown away by what they see, and they hear the audible voice of God the Father saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear Him. And they see this great, great, miraculous moment. They experience it together. But then Jesus tells them, Peter wants to build three shelters there and just stay on the mountain. We can understand that idea. But Jesus tells them, no, we must go down this mountain. Because in the valley, there's the father whose son is being overcome by epileptic seizures, which happened to be at that time, in that case, brought on by a demonic principality in his life. He had come and he had asked the other disciples who were there at the foot of the mountain if they could cast the enemy out, if they could set him free. And they had prayed and they had tried, but they couldn't do it. So when Jesus comes, he asks Jesus if he could do it, and he does it, and he sets the boy free. But the point of the matter is, whenever we experience a move of God, whenever we experience or get a revelation from God's Word, whenever you hear the voice of God in your inner being, whenever you have and you're going through the Word of God and something just steps or stands out to you and, and changes your life or touches your heart, whenever God uses you, in some type of way, I want you to understand something. It's right after that that you're going to have a storm. I promise you. It's after your greatest victories, and it's when you see the greatest moves of God and get the greatest revelation from God that you're going to experience a battle. You're going to have a test. But I want you to know Jesus knows you're in the battle. And he knows that the storm is there. And he knows that the test has come. And my, what, what I see here is that the storm isn't the problem. The problem is the disciples had forgotten the power of the miracle when the storm came. And that's what the storm is about. That's what the test is about. That's what the battle is about. It's not an opportunity for you to be taken down. It's an opportunity for you to understand what you've learned and what you've seen in the miracle, in the movement of God, what you've gained from the revelation that God gave you. God's giving you an opportunity to put into action what word from God has been given to your spirit to bring it out and utilize it in your day-to-day -day life and see that the word of God, the presence of God, and the power of his spirit works in the real world where the storms are. Because let me promise you something. Everybody around you lives continually with one storm or another. Your neighbors are always facing storms. Your co-workers are always facing storms. Your family members are always facing storms. The difference is if you're a Christian and they're not, you have someone to turn to with your storm and they're facing it all alone. And what God's given you and I the opportunity to do when we come out of these seasons of great revelation or these seasons of great anointing where God's moved in our life and then face a storm or an attack or a test, He's given us the opportunity in the real world where people are watching, to take the Word of God, to take the presence of the Holy Spirit and activate it and see it work just like He said it would. So in the middle of the sea, the disciples are tossed by the waves, for the wind is contrary to them. Verse 25. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw Him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It's a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. So, here's the thing. 
We need to remember these things as key things when we face a storm. Number one, the disciples forgot that Jesus had said something to them before they left. Jesus said, I want you to go on ahead of me to the other side. The word of the Lord had been that you're not going to go out into the middle of the sea, come into a storm, and drown. The word of the Lord was not that you're going to face this attack and be disappointed. The word of the Lord was you're going to go all the way over to the other side. I'm sending you ahead of me, and you're going over to the other side. And I want to tell you today that what's going to get you through your storm that you're facing right now is the word that the Lord gave you before the storm hit. Because the word of the Lord never changes regardless of the storm. The word of God doesn't change in spite of what's going on in your battle, in spite of what's going on during this season of testing, in spite of what's going on in your present circumstance, the eternal word of God doesn't change. So whatever word that God quickened to you in that last season of victory, whatever word of God it was, whatever revelation you received in the last great revival that you experienced, whatever it was that God did that last time he moved in your life, number one, he hasn't changed. Jesus is still the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. There's another point. The Word of God says that His Word never changes. It is eternal and forever set in the heavenlies. So whatever God said at any point in time, whatever, unless Jesus fulfilled it, which the law He fulfilled, but everything else, every promise that you see is still true. Regardless of how intense your storm is and regardless of how contrary the winds are to you right now. God's word is still true. The disciples had forgotten, apparently, that Jesus had said, you're going over ahead of me. Now, you see, here's the thing. Jesus could have said, hey, guys, I want you to wait at the shore. I'm going to send the multitudes away, go and pray. You guys get some rest, and then I'll come get in the boat and go with you. And I'm sure that's what the disciples would have preferred. That's what I would prefer. But Jesus, on purpose, sent them ahead. The reason Jesus sent them ahead is because he knew they could get to the other side. Matter of fact, I'm going to say something that I, I, this is my opinion. You don't have to take this as gospel truth because the Bible doesn't say it. But I believe Jesus knew they could get aside without him. Now, now don't misunderstand what I'm saying. You see, he was already with them because he had already released his word over their life. And his word was going with them. And I think he wanted them to put his word into practice. And I think he wanted one of those disciples, be it Peter or James or John or Thomas or whichever one, to say, hey boys, this storm is awful, but keep rowing because Jesus said we're going over to the other side. And I don't know how we're going to get there and I don't know when and we might be delayed and it looks bad right now and I'm going to be honest, I'm afraid. But Jesus said we're going over, so keep rowing. We're going over. Keep the, keep the sail set to the wind. It's just going to, maybe it'll just get us there faster but no question about it, Jesus said we're getting there, so we're getting there. And I have this tendency of believing that had somebody in that boat stood up and believed that, that they would have met Jesus on the shore on the other side instead of in the middle of the storm. Now, you don't have to believe that. The Bible doesn't say that. But some of the things Jesus says later leads me to believe that. So he says, you're going over to the other side, but this great storm comes on them, and they're afraid. So Jesus comes to them. Second thing you need to remember in the middle of your storm is not only the word that Jesus gave you, but the fact that Jesus will come to you. 
He wasn't about to forsake them because he already said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Lo, I will be with you always, even to the very end of this age. There's never a moment in your life where Jesus is not there. Sometimes you cannot see him because of how dark it is and because of the wind and the waves. Matter of fact, when Jesus comes walking to the disciples on the sea, they don't recognize him at first. They think it's just a phantom or a ghost. Well, number one, they're not used to seeing anybody walking on the water. That's a new thing. And there's something there too. We need to always remember a lot of times when Jesus does show up, he shows up in ways that we don't expect him. And sometimes because he shows up in ways that we didn't expect, we fail to recognize him in the middle of the storm. Another reason they didn't recognize him is because of the storm. Number one, it had grown dark. It's hard to see in the dark. And when you add to that lightning and winds and waves, then it's hard to recognize. They saw a figure, but they didn't know who he was. So they cry out in fear saying, it's a ghost, it's a ghost. And Jesus, in response to their fear, speaks to them. And his words are, be of good cheer, it is I. Don't be afraid. That word, be of good cheer, means take courage. Take courage. Well, he couldn't command that unless courage was there to take. Can I tell you something? In every storm, when the enemy tries to paralyze you with fear, there is courage if you'll just reach out and take it. And I'm going to tell you something. When you reach out and you take the courage that God offers, it will change your disposition. It will change your attitude. So be of good cheer. Take courage. Second thing he says is it is I. That phrase, it is I, literally is I am. Now that's significant. Jesus in the midst of the storm says to his disciples, first of all, take courage, I am. Take courage, I am. I am bigger than this storm. I am bigger than your problem. I am bigger than your dilemma. I have control over your circumstance. It's I. I am. Take courage now. You don't have to be afraid. I want you to notice something. The storm hasn't stopped yet, but Jesus has already given them the opportunity to not be alarmed. He said right now, in the middle of the... He could have stopped the storm instantly. He hasn't stopped it. He's going to, but he hasn't yet. Because he's still giving these disciples an opportunity to understand that his presence is bigger than any storm. His peace that he offers is greater than any test. That he is greater than any problem they'll ever experience. So he says, take courage, be of good cheer. It is I, I am. That's an important phrase because I am is the name of God that the Jews knew well. When Moses wanted to know who sent him to Pharaoh in Egypt, he says, tell him, I am has sent you. Jesus is saying, look, the creator of the winds and the waves, hey, I am here. I got this. I got this. You're battling with sickness and disease? Take courage. I got this. You're battling with depression? Take courage. I got this. You got a problem in your marriage, turmoil in your family? Take courage. I got this. Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. Because fear paralyzes. Fear keeps you trapped 
in the circumstance. And Jesus is saying, I see the storm. Matter of fact, I'm walking on it. It doesn't bother me. I'm bigger than this storm. You just need to take courage, not fear. Now that's powerful because it means in every storm, you and I get a choice of what we take. Because I promise you, you're taking something from your battle right now. You're either taking fear or courage, one or the other. And a lot of times, all we take is anxiety and fear and depression and turmoil because that's all we think we have access to. We think, man, that's everything I feel. It's everything I see. It's everything everybody else has when they're going through this. I don't know how to do anything else. So we just take fear and more 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 anxiety and more panic and more depression. We just take all that the enemy will give us and he's got an unending supply of that stuff. He'll just keep giving it away. But you also have a choice to take courage. Just like you can receive fear, you can receive courage if you realize who's in the storm with you. I am is here. Be of good cheer. It is I. Don't be afraid. We need to know what the word of the Lord was before the storm started because the storm doesn't change His word. We need to know that Jesus is coming in the midst of the storm. I guarantee you if you'll look, you'll see Him. But the third thing you need to know is that Jesus is praying. Man, it would have been awesome if the disciples could have remembered what Jesus was doing the whole time they were out in the middle of the sea. See, they knew enough about Jesus' ways. They knew enough about the way he, what his proclivities were. When he told them to go on ahead of him, I guarantee you they knew what he was going to do. He was going to go up on a mount alone to spend time in intercession with the Father. And there's an awesome promise the Bible gives us about Jesus says that he's been raised up above all powers and principalities. He's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That's the place of ultimate power and authority. But then there's another beautiful phrase. There he ever lives to make intercession for us. You see, the whole time they were out struggling against the wind and struggling against the darkness and struggling against the waves and struggling against their own fear and struggling against their own anxiety, Jesus was praying. And I guarantee you some of his prayer included them. So I don't know where you get that. Well, you see, you remember when they were in the upper room towards the, uh, the Last Supper, Jesus tells Peter after all of his declaration of how he would never walk away from him and if all the other disciples left him, he would stay true to him. And bless Peter's heart, he did try to do that in the garden. He did cut off the high priest's servant's ear when everybody else was running away. Jesus told him to put away his sword. So he did try. But Jesus at that point tells Peter, he says, Peter, your spirit indeed is willing, but your flesh is weak. He says, listen, Satan has desired to sift you like wheat. But he said, don't be afraid, be of good cheer, take courage, because I have prayed for you. And when you are restored, encourage the brethren. What an awesome statement to hear from the lips of Jesus. I have prayed for you. But as awesome as that statement is, what he doesn't say could be disheartening if you're not careful. Why couldn't Jesus have said, you know, Peter, Satan's desired to sift you like wheat, but I told him, no way, get out of here. You're not going to have any test at all. I took care of it for you. Jesus did not say that. 
what he did say. Satan desires to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. I've interceded on your behalf. Now be of good cheer, and when you are restored, as a matter of fact, Jesus told him this, <laughs> this would not be a prophecy you would like. For everybody who loves prophecies, it'd be interesting if, if, if sometimes the prophecies got into things that were real and authentic too. I, I mean, I love prophecy to be encouraging, but Jesus just told the truth about Peter. He said, uh, yeah, you're going to deny that you even know me three times. Before the rooster crows, you're going to deny that you know me three times. You wouldn't like that prophecy. But it was still the truth. Because Jesus saw what Peter would do. And he always told the truth. Because you see, no matter how much Peter, and Peter denied it, even after, even after Jesus said, that's what you're going to do, Peter still denied it. No, not me. Everybody else may do it, but not me. Imagine the audacity of looking Jesus Christ in the face and saying, you're wrong. Because in essence, without using those words, that's exactly what Peter did. But Jesus still told him the truth because he knew there was going to come a moment when in spite of Peter's pride and his good intentions, because they were good intentions, that he was still going to fall three times. And when he fell, he was going to be so depressed and feel like such a failure that Jesus could never love him again. And Jesus wanted to get ahead of that and tell him, Peter, you're going to deny me, but I'm going to restore you. You see, that's what the truth does. The truth does not deny reality. The truth looks reality right in the face and says there's someone greater that's bigger than your reality. So we need to always remember who has our back. We need to always remember who is our great intercessor. Because if you could remember in the middle of your storm who is your intercessor, I guarantee you it would help you face your storm a lot better. So Jesus says, be of good cheer, it's I, do not be afraid. So Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And so Jesus says, come on. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Now, in my mind's eye, I wonder how Peter got out of the boat. See, the storm's still going right now. Remember, these are seasoned fishermen, and this is not the first time they've ever been in a bad storm on the Sea of Galilee. Tell, uh, when you look at the history and stuff, they'll tell you that this is, can happen quite frequently just out of nowhere. A squall can come up on the sea. It would sink ships. and These fishermen knew how to get through a storm, and they were having trouble. And the storm's still ongoing, and it's still dark. And Peter says, Lord, if it's you... You tell me to come and I'll come to you. And Jesus says, come on. And Peter gets out of the boat. Now I wonder if he just jumped out and ran. Faith would do that. Big faith. Or if he did like I think I would do. Uh, tell me again, Lord. <laughs> One more time? Okay. Uh. Very carefully stepping out, putting his foot on the wave the first time just to see what happens. 
However he got out, I don't know. My guess is it's the second way, not the first. I doubt he just jumped out and started running. Because he was just as, this is the point, he was just as human as we are. There are some of you in this room that get so down on yourself and you get so frustrated and you feel like such a failure because you've blown up some heroes of your faith and you think that they never struggle and you think that they never have doubts and you think that they never have problems and you think that every problem they face, they've got this great faith answer and they run into it. And the reason you think that is because many times we don't tell everybody What's going on in your life? I'm going to promise you something. You can choose to believe me today or you can find out I'm telling you the truth in the future. doesn't matter to me, but it would help you a whole lot if you believe me today. Everybody that you know struggles. I don't care how much faith they have. I don't care what title is behind their name. And I don't care what kind of messages they preach. When the going gets tough, they have doubts. They ha- and if they tell you they don't, they are liars. You don't have to believe that. You can choose to believe it later on when you figure out that that's the truth. But it would help you now if you believed it because we could quit this crazy comparison game where we're always looking at some other human being and saying, wow, that's what I want to be. No, you do not. Because the best human being is still just a human being just like you. The one we want to be like is Jesus. And we all fall way short of that. Even your spiritual heroes. But when we look at our spiritual heroes and we think they never struggle, they always have faith, they always attack everything, that's what you see. Because you hear their testimony after the storm. It would be nice to get with them in the storm and just watch what they do. Because you know what you would see? Every once in a while you'd see them panic. Every once in a while you'd see them get frustrated. Even David, the man after God's own heart, cried out to God over and over again saying, God, where are you at? Will you ever rend the heavens and come down and please do something? You have been quiet for so long, I think you've forgotten about me. Would you? Well, that was Old Testament, Pastor. He didn't have the Word of God like we do. Bless God, we are better than David today. Bless your heart. It was the New Testament that said David was a man after God's own heart. That's the book of Acts. <laughs> but... Let me give you an Apostle Paul reference. The Apostle Paul at one point said he was so distressed over the stuff that was going around him, he despaired of life itself. He said, I'm pretty sure we're going to die. I'm pretty sure everything's falling apart. I'm pretty sure we're not going to make it till tomorrow. I don't know how. As a matter of fact, listen, we look at this as a great celebratory point, and we should because Paul basically says, man, I far prefer to die and go to be with Jesus than to live. Oh, yes, hallelujah, that's our attitude. Do you know what that means? Paul was facing such a mess, he rather die than live in it oh I don't believe that well that's too bad Paul was human have you ever been there if you really believe in heaven you have oh there's been moments when if you really believe in heaven you're like can we just be done with this down here and go home can I just not face a battle again I don't want to go through this again that's humanity And Paul had those moments. And that's New Testament. 
So if we can get rid of those comparisons and realize all of us are human, then even, see, here's the thing. Most of us will not be willing to try to step out because we might fail. And unless we're sure we won't fail, we won't try. We think that everybody who's got faith jumps out and runs on the water. You're never going to do anything then. Because that's not how any of it starts. However Peter got out of the boat, the key is he got out. And the other 11 never even attempted it. The fact that Peter began to allow the water to overcome him when he saw the winds and the waves, that is a part of this story. But at least he walked on the water. None of the other 11 did. I think I said this one other time when I was referencing this story. He had a story for his grandchildren one day that John, James, and Thomas never could tell. They always lived by the sea. He could go, and he was a fisherman, I guarantee you. He had, a, by the way, he was married, so he probably had kids. They say, history tells us he had at least a daughter. So there was probably a time when he went out and was fishing and said, see that water over there? I walked on it one day with Jesus. Nobody else could say that. I don't care how he got out. The fact is he was willing to walk. Sometimes we don't look real pretty <laughs> when we're walking in faith, but that doesn't matter. What matters is that you're walking and that you're going towards Jesus. So Peter got out of the boat and he started walking at Jesus' command. We know verse 30, when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and called him and said to him, O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. That's why I said, I think that what Jesus might have done if they would have just kept believing is allow him to go onto the shore without him because, see, he rebuked him, particularly Peter, for having little faith. Well, now, if Peter had little faith, how, much, how big was the faith of the disciples who were too afraid to even get out of the boat? But then I got another point to make, and I just thought of this the other day. If little faith walks on water, then what in the world can big faith do? <laughs> See, that's all of us. Oh, my faith is so small. I just can't do anything. I'm not like brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so. I just don't have that kind of faith. Well, little faith, according to Jesus, can walk on the water in the midst of a storm. Little faith can do the impossible. And if little faith can do the impossible, what would ever happen if we let our faith grow? Because you see, your faith can grow. Whatever level of faith you've got, the Bible says faith comes by hearing, hearing the Word of God. So wherever your level of faith is, it can grow. And little faith can walk on the waves, according to Jesus. Jesus said, if you have faith as small as a grain of mustard seed, you can speak to this mountain and command it to be removed and cast into the sea, and the mountain has no choice but to obey you. Small as a grain of mustard seed. Years and years ago when we were on the, in the old building, I, I brought a, a mustard seed and held it up. And you can't see it because it's so small. Not unless you're right up next to it. And that's the point. Jesus said it doesn't take this huge faith to move mountains. Very small faith can move mountains. Hey, you got saved, didn't you? How much faith do you think you had when you got saved? Shouldn't be anywhere near as much as you do now. The Bible says God's given to every man the measure of faith. 
So I'm assuming that faith, it took small faith to get faith, saved because our faith can grow and it can't start growing until you know Jesus. So you must have started with your smallest amount of faith when you got saved, right? Did you know that getting saved is the greatest miracle of all? So if the smallest amount of faith can get you to the greatest miracle of all, what in the world will happen if we just let our faith grow? What in the world could happen in our churches and in our neighborhoods and in our marketplaces and in our families and in our world today if we just simply would allow our faith to expand and to stretch and to grow? But here's the reason we don't do that, because we actually do know more than we think we do. When I told you at the beginning of this message today that you know when you have a great miracle or revelation, get ready because a storm's coming, I didn't tell you any great mystery. You already know that. At least most of you already know that. You've lived this life for a good little while, and if you've been a Christian any length of time at all, you've had some victories, and every time you have a victory or a revelation from God, you've got the target on you, and you know what happens next. So here's how the enemy works. He kind of starts getting into our mind, into our emotions, and we would never admit that we ever make an agreement with him. But here's the idea. If you'll just calm down, everything around you will calm down. You know, this all started getting crazy when you made that new fresh commitment to God. Everything was fine until you really got on fire for God. Everything was going good until you really started doing this ministry. Everything was great until you really started believing and got encouraged. And then ever since then, it looks like every day you turn around, something's happening. You're getting attacked from the right and from the left. If you will just calm down and just be a good Christian, you'll go to heaven someday. All this stuff will go away. And you see, the sad thing about it is in general, a lot of times that seems to be true for a while because we make that agreement with the devil. Oh, we don't call it that now. Oh, no. We get real spiritual about it sometimes. Well, you know, sometimes you just got to get back to normal pace. You just got to, you know, you got to, you know, I can't do this. You know, it's just I can't live at that state all the time. What is that state that we're talking about? Now, if you're talking about a state of heightened emotions, I agree with you. If you're talking about you can't live in a constant state of frenetic activity, I agree with you. Especially if you think your activity makes you right with God, because it doesn't. But if you're talking about you can't live in a constant state of joy or a constant state of peace or a constant state of faith or in a constant state of the presence of God, that is not true, and that is a lie from the enemy. Now, if you try to live at that state, will it bring more attacks and storms because will you get a target painted on your back? Absolutely. I'd be lying to you to say anything other than that. But the only people who ever get to walk on the waves in the middle of the storms are the people who are willing to go where Jesus told them to go. And if you're willing to go where Jesus tells you to go, there are going to be some storms that follow you and I want to show you why let's read the end of this passage Jesus gets into the boat and when he gets into the boat the storm stops immediately instantly the wind stops because Jesus has the power to stop your storm and I'm gonna tell you something Jesus is coming and when he comes and I, he's always with you but I mean his manifest presence will come into your life and into your storm when it does he has the power to stop it but what I want you to see is this Verse 33, we'll read it. It says, Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. But what I really want you to see is verses 34 to 36. We usually stop here because the story of Peter walking on the water and sinking and Jesus saving him is over. But I want you to see verse 34. When they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret. Now what did Jesus tell them they were going to do before they ever got in the boat to begin with? They were going to go over to the other side ahead of him. So he said, I want you to go over ahead of me. I'm coming behind you. The, the goal was 
the destination was, listen, the vision was, we're going to the other side. That's, that's the destination. When they had crossed over, verse 35 says, when the men of that place recognized Jesus, they sent out into all the surrounding region and brought to him all who were sick. And they begged him that they might only touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched it, they were made whole or perfectly well. Do you know why the storm came? The same reason every attack and every test and every storm comes. Number one, it's an opportunity for you to put into practice what God's taught you in the last season of miracles or revelation. But number two, the storm comes to keep you from your destination, from your purpose, and from your vision. And if you will just keep rowing, when you get to the other side, God has something important on the other side that only He can do. The enemy may have wanted to take those disciples under, but Jesus had a plan that was bigger than that. There were a lot of people who needed to be healed on the other side. See, the disciples didn't know that. They didn't know what was going to happen. Now, everywhere Jesus went, he taught as one who had great authority. He healed the sick. He cast out devils. So they probably had an idea of what was going to happen, but they didn't know specifics. All they knew was that Jesus said, we're going over to the other side. You go ahead of me. But when they get to the other side, after getting through the storm that almost took them down, they brought a great crowd, a multitude of people who were sick and diseased, and Jesus healed all who touched him. And the disciples watched it all. They were getting on-the-job training because guess who was going to heal the sick after Jesus ascended into heaven and poured out the Holy Spirit? Those very disciples. So Jesus was showing them hands-on. Here's what you do. Here's why there's a storm. Here's what that distraction was all about. Here, here's what that disturbance in your mind was all about. Here's what that attack was all about. Here's what the battle was all about. Now, when I tell you go to the other side, don't get discouraged and don't be afraid. You're going to make it. Oh, but this storm doesn't change my word. You're going to make it. Know that I've interceded for you. And know that I'm with you. And never be afraid. Just keep rowing. Just keep moving forward. Don't ever stop. Because your destination's on the other side. You're going to make it. Don't be afraid. Take courage. I am. I've got this. I got your struggle. I got your pain. I got your hurt. I've got your turmoil. I've got this depression in my hands. I can take care of this. I see the confusion. I understand your anxiety. I'm here. My word hasn't changed. You may think that you're disqualified from being used for me because anybody that God called surely would not battle with depression. And anybody that God's called surely would not have all these fears. And anybody that God's called surely wouldn't struggle with this problem. No, the reason you're struggling, the reason that came is to try to take you under before you get to the other side. But I said you're going over. So if you'll just trust me, keep rowing. Just don't stop. Don't let your struggle stop you from pursuing my vision. Don't let the distraction keep you from following my purpose. Just keep rowing because I'm here. And I've got your back. And I've given you my word. And that's always more than enough. Doesn't matter the storm. You may feel like, I just got little faith. Well, little faith can walk on water, apparently. 
You in a storm? The enemy may have sent it to take you under. But Jesus allowed it so that you can learn that you can walk on the waves. Who are you going to believe? Who are you going to believe about the storm you're in? You're going to believe the enemy's voice that tells you you're going to drown here? That you're never going to make it out of this? Or are you going to believe the voice of Jesus who says, come to me? You can walk. Listen, close with this. When Peter got out of that boat and he walked on the waves, he learned that he could walk by faith. He could walk over what was trying to destroy him. He learned that he could walk over what was trying to hinder him and distract him. Man, if we as Christians could ever learn, it doesn't matter what's come against you. At the command of Jesus, you can walk on it. But, <laughs> you got to get out of the boat to do it. But it's okay if Jesus is out there with you. He's not going to let you drown. He's not going to ever let you drown. I want you to bow your heads with me. Father, in the name of Jesus today, I thank you for the word, and I thank you it never returns to you empty. But Lord, it always accomplishes the purpose that you sent it out for. Lord, in this room today, I know there are people who are struggling with weights and hurts, anxiety and fear. But Lord, I also know that you're their great intercessor. That you know exactly where they are, but Lord, you've stood in the gap for them already. <laughs> and Lord, you're big enough and you're strong enough. You got it. Lord, you've already given us your word. Lord, you said in this world we will have trouble, we'll have tribulation, we'll have storms, we'll have struggles. But you said, take courage, be of good cheer. I've already overcome the world. That means anything we're going to face, you've already overcome it. Anywhere we're going to go, you've already been there. Anything that surrounds us, God, you, you understand and you know perfectly. And the enemy may send things to take us under, but you allow things so that we can learn that through faith in your name and your word, we can walk on that which, trying to, which tries to destroy us, to hinder us, to distract us, to overwhelm us. So, Father, across this room today, I pray that your people would take heart in your word. Lord, if you told them they're going over, they're going over. They're going to get to the other side no matter what happens in between. Lord, you're always with us. And at just the right moment, at just the right time, you'll manifest tangibly your presence in our lives. And you're our great intercessor. We can take courage. You are the great I am. You've got it. We don't have to be afraid anymore. So, Father, however we need to get out of the boat, whether it's tentatively or whether we jump out, or whatever level of faith we're at, I thank you, God, that even little faith can walk on the waves as long as we're walking to you and as long as you've given the command. So, Father God, I just pray in the name of Jesus that you would just bring peace, you would bring encouragement, you would bring strength, and you would bring hope in this place today. For those who need it most, 
In Jesus' name. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed for just a moment longer, if you've come into this place today and you don't have the relationship you want to have and need to have with Jesus, either you've never been born again, you've never given Jesus control of your heart, or you have, but that's not where you are now. For whatever reason, you've drifted away. and But you want that to change today. It can. He's here. He's walked on the waves of your storm right here to you today and giving you this word to say here I am if you want to you can come to me no matter how bad the winds are no matter how dark the night no matter how violent the waves if you need to give your heart to Jesus or get right with God before we pray about anything else I'd love to pray for you if you just lift your hand anywhere in this room alright for every child of God in this place I believe the word kind of over the building is today has been that there are those of you who are carrying a load. You're walking with anxiety and fear and confusion and depression. And naturally speaking, you, you may have a very good reason for it in the natural. Life is upside down for you right now. Everything's falling apart, it seems. You're in a storm. And it's a bad one. All you can see is darkness and all you can hear is the wind. And the waves are just bouncing the boat of your life up and down. You feel like at any moment it could take you under. But if you can look back at any point in your life and remember where Jesus spoke a word into your being. Where you grabbed it and held on to it. And your life began to change. I want you to know something. His word is greater than your storm. And His Word does not change. And you can take courage from that Word. You can also know that He's your great intercessor. He has stood in the gap for you. He's already seen your storm long ago and He stood on your behalf just like He did for Peter. And He doesn't intend to see you swallowed up and devoured. He intends to see you make it through. And you can trust Him. You can take your courage back. You don't have to take fear. You can take courage. He's got your storm in His hand. He's there with you. Always. So for those of you who just need to be encouraged, who need to take your peace back, take your joy back, take your strength back, take your hope back, even in the middle of the storm, you may feel like, well, I don't have a lot of faith. That's okay. Little faith apparently can walk on the waves. So if you're willing to get out and go to Jesus, you can get there and you say, I don't even know that I've got that much faith yet. There's one part of the story I left out. For those other 11 disciples that weren't quite where Peter was at, Jesus did come to them too. He did get in the boat. And when He did, the storm stopped. See, He could have said, well, me and Peter, we're just going to walk on to the shore and you guys just stay out here and struggle for a while. But He didn't. He even understood them. And he got in the boat. So if you'll ask him, he'll come to you too. Your faith can grow. Don't be discouraged by where you are. Just don't be willing to stay there. Let God take you where he wants you to go. If any of those things fit you today, and you know the Holy Spirit's been speaking to you all morning, I want to pray for you. Would you lift your hand anywhere in this room? That's you. You're in the storm. The battle's going on. You don't know how you're getting through. And all you can see is the darkness and hear the wind and the waves. 
But you know that Jesus is there. And you know that you can take courage instead of fear. And you want to trust Him. Anybody else, that's you. Just lift your hand right there where you're at. I want to pray for you before we close. Praise God. Anybody else? Anywhere in the room? Okay. Let's stand together if you would. Those of you who lifted up your hands with me, you said, hey, I know God's speaking to me. I'm in the storm. And I need to get my attention back on what God said over my life. And I need to get my attention back on His presence with me. I want you to, as I pray for you, to receive this prayer. Own it. Allow the Holy Spirit to minister to you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for each one whose hands just went up. Father God, you understand the storm, the battle they're in. Lord, you see it. And you're on their side. And you say, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world opposed to us. That's never going to change. You said neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall ever be able to separate us from the love of God for us which we find in Christ Jesus our Lord. God, I thank you for your love over each one of these. And it does not shift or change. I thank you you understand them better than they even understand themselves and you understand exactly their circumstance. And Father God, I thank you that the word that you've spoken over their life in times past has never changed and it doesn't change. In spite of their storm, your word is that they're going over to the other side. I thank you that you never leave them alone, that your presence is in them, that their bodies are the dwelling places of the Holy Spirit and you're there. But God, I thank you for your tangible presence coming in the storm to them right now. I thank you, God, for knowing deep down inside that you've interceded on their behalf and you've won the battle that you've overcome the world so they can take courage. Be of good cheer. You've got it. Father God, I thank you that becomes a reality in their heart and lives. And Lord, they're going to be willing, no matter how they step out, to step out and walk to you. And Lord, I thank you, God, that it doesn't matter the waves of the storm. Lord, they can walk on anything as long as they're doing it at your command and their eyes are focused on you and not what's around them. So God, we just speak encouragement. We speak hope. We speak peace. I thank you that faith grows because of your word. I thank you, God, that they leave this place knowing that you've met them where they are today because you love them more than they could ever dream. And God, I thank you you'll continue your work in them all throughout this week as, Lord, they spend time in your presence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We love you today. If you need prayer for anything, we'll be around as long as you need us to be. Otherwise, we're going to let you go. Go in the grace of God. Have a wonderful week. Don't forget the sign-up sheet out front for Kids Against Hunger, November 19th. Uh, If you want to go, I need to know how many lines we'll have as soon as I can. Thank you.